You're bad. So you will drink anyone Maybe if you show a little bit of cleavage. Maybe you're acting too smart. You're a boss I just don't understand why you don't have so money. money. I would marry you. You're a tequila you're lover. Not you're down to party. You're the Chargers. I'm not going to talk to you. Welcome back to your Such a Catch. I'm Erin. We're still in between seasons, but that isn't stopping me from bringing you a series of live chats from Meet in Malibu, an event hosted by Modern Day Wife. If you're a loyal listener, I appreciate you still hanging with me. I'm happy to release this short series for you. If you're listening for the first time, these chats are going to be a little different from our usual episodes, but we'll still be focusing on dating, relationships, mindset, manifestation, and women empowerment. Speaking of women empowerment, if you haven't heard of Modern Day Wife, you're going to want to click on the link in the episode notes and check them out. They provide a hub for women who are aspiring to do it all. It doesn't matter what stage of life you're in, they're there to assist with career, family life, social life, and relationships. My sweet friend Erin Hill, who you've all seen on my social media and probably heard the episode I did with her at LA Fashion Week when I was also podcasting live, she introduced me to Modern Day Wife after she was asked to model in their fashion show. She absolutely slayed the catwalk. She was channeling her inner Giselle and I couldn't be more proud. Some of you may know I recently had surgery, which I'll get into a bit more eventually. But don't worry, I'm all good. It's been a bit of a challenging recovery to say the least. (laughs) But the Meet in Malibu event was on day 13 of my recovery, and I couldn't help but laugh. The dress code was to wear all white, representing summer solstice, and I was a big old bruise from head to toe. Up until that point, I had only really gone to my doctor's appointments and walking from my bedroom to the living room proved to be a challenge. So this was my first true outing. And what I learned from upholding this commitment is sometimes we're called to do something and even though we're not at our best, we're just supposed to be present. And being present is enough. And just as I learned in the past, the people we're supposed to connect with, we do. Hence how I met Collier Laundry. I hadn't intended on chatting with Collier. He wasn't one of my pre-scheduled guests, but we were definitely supposed to meet. Here's the backstory. I arrived a little late. Remember, I'm only 13 days post-surgery and I'm not on my A game. I'm also not supposed to lift more than five pounds right now. And when I arrived to this event, there is no place for me to set up, nor power. How are you supposed to podcast live without power? (laughs) To keep this long story short, Collier saved the day. He's not a tech guy there. He's not, you know, in charge of the power. He's not even part of the event. He was there with his friends. They have their own show. But he single-handedly is the reason I was able to podcast. And he ensured at Hello, at us meeting, that my equipment was set up and he properly hooked me up with power. So I cannot thank him enough. And by the time I was good to go, my first two guests were no-shows. And so it kind of just felt right to ask Collier to sit behind the mic with me. Now, I didn't know Collier from Adam, but as you'll hear, I was practically left speechless after he began to share his story. I had no idea what he was about to tell me. Trigger warning. 
This episode discusses trauma and the repercussions of murder, including survivor's guilt. Without further ado, here's Collier to share his story. Collier, tell me about yourself. Tell me, like, I want to know, you said you're looking for a lady too, so you got to give me all the tea. Here, you want to hear, like, fun dating stories, or you want to hear, like, just, you want to... Can I use profanity? Of is profanity course. Okay, fucking thank God. <laughs> I have like the worst now. Now you're going to snort. So know, guys, when you're listening to this, <laughs> the, key, the key to getting her snort is just to use a little bit of profanity. <laughs> very true. So, okay. So I am very Googleable, first of all, mm-hmm. but my name is Collier Landry. I am a filmmaker. I've lived in Los Angeles for almost 20 years. I am from a small town in Ohio called Mansfield, Ohio, and I am probably... Even though I'm like an award-winning like director and, and cinematographer, like and, you know, I just directed a music video for, that just hit a billion views on YouTube. It's like crazy. A billion with a b- 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 yeah, it's pretty O-M-G. crazy. It happened like okay. a few weeks ago. And I was like, oh my god. Not that I like, not that that means like a financial thing because it's for all for the artists, but it's but it was kind of cool. I was like, okay. But I'm most well known for making a film called A Murder in Mansfield, mm. which is on investigation discovery, and it is about a murder in Mansfield. Yeah. And it just so happens to be that that murder was the murder of my mother by my father. Mm. When I was 11 years old, I woke up in the middle of the night to the sound of two loud thuds. Mm-hmm. And I heard this like murmuring. I had heard a scream, which is what startled me awake. And then I heard these thuds. And then I heard these footsteps t- come down the hall and I was terrified. And I could see out of my peripheral vision, two feet standing in the doorway. And I'm like, don't look up. The next morning... I run into my mother's bedroom. My mother was like my world. Mm-hmm. I run into my mother's bedroom. I'm looking for blood because I thought she was killed. I come downstairs and my father is sitting on the couch. He had just taken a shower. And I said to him, I said, where is my mother? And my father says, well, mommy took a little vacation call here. And then my father proceeds to go into this whole story on how my mother and him got into a fight in the middle of the night and she threw his, her purse at him and credit cards and stormed out of the house in the middle. This is December 31st, 1989. Oh my gosh. Okay. I'm 11 so years this is old. right before the new year. Right yeah. before the new year. It's dead winter and, and she walked out of the house and got into a car at the end of our driveway and stuff. So a little backstory. My parents were getting a divorce. Okay. And my are you father, an only child? So I was an only child up until six months previous to that because my mother and father adopted a girl, a little girl from Taiwan who was three. Okay. And her name was Elizabeth. So she was my sister. And my my mother was like my world, right? So I mm-hmm. was always with my mother. My father was a doctor in this small town. And my father, he was uh, a chronic womanizer. But I didn't know this as a child, yeah. right? You don't really like know these things. And my parents were getting a divorce because my father had inter- my my mother, I guess her line in the sand with him was, "Hey, if you if, if you as long as you don't involve our kid, everything's fine." So she just kind of turned a blind eye. Well, my father had a mistress that was pregnant. Oh wow. But I didn't know any of this. Uh-huh. But he introduced me to this mistress, but I didn't realize she was pregnant. Right. But I ended up figuring out that my father was having an affair. I told my mother, but my mother already knew. Yeah. She knew he was pre- she was pregnant all this stuff. Mm-hmm. So my mother filed for divorce. And my father was a very violent Italian-Irish man. And he was a fucking narcissist. Of course, mm-hmm. I don't know these things when I'm a kid. Yeah. I just know that he, my father was an asshole. And my father was very violent towards myself. And my mother, he would have this... His temper was very apoplectic. He would just go off in the middle of nowhere. Out of the middle, out of, the middle of nowhere, you just... If I dropped an egg on the floor, I remember one time is my, he threatened to kill my mother. And it was oh like, gosh. it was crazy, crazy yeah. right? 
So I didn't really have much of a relationship with my father. So flash forward is December 31st, 1989, and I'm confronting him, and I knew that he murdered my mother. You just knew. You just I knew, knew right away. Knew and and I knew when I was coming downstairs, I was like, she was gone. And he started into this whole diatribe about, okay, we're not going to call the police. And then he goes, we're not going to call the FBI. And I'm thinking to myself, we are in this small town in Ohio. Yeah. Like, why the, like, this isn't CSI, motherfucker. Like, right. this yeah. is like, yeah. what? Like, and I'm like, okay, red flags everywhere. So he goes, he was moving his practice to Erie, Pennsylvania. So that's about like six hours away from where I grew up in Ohio. And he proceeds to go about his day. My grandmother, who was his mother, had just come the night before to stay with us. Now, she was very close to my mother. They were almost like sisters, if you will. Okay. Or they were almost like, it was like her mother. Because my mother didn't have a very good relationship with her mother, who had passed by that time. But The grandma, was your grandma aware of your dad's discretions? In, in discretions? Yeah. yeah. He was, she was definitely aware of my father's indiscretions. But, of course, she's an Italian mother, so their, Italian, their firstborn son sure. can, do, can never do no wrong, mm-hmm. right? So she's like, "Don't we're not going to call the police. She's like telling me this is my father leaves. I'm like, well, fuck that shit. So I literally, I had stashed all my mother's friends' phone numbers in a Garfield that I had, and it was like a Santa hat <laughs> in preparation yeah. for all this shit. Because oh my my fa- I wasn't sure what my father was going to do. Yeah. And I grab the cordless phone. We had just gotten a cordless phone. I go run into the bathroom, and I just call all of them. I'm like, here's what happened. You need to call the police. So I don't call the police, technically. Yeah. <laughs> But, so two yeah. uniform officers show up at the house, and then my grandmother is just like furious, and she's like, "You called the police." I was like, "I didn't do anything." And then I'm leading one of the I'm leading the officers around with her, and she's like a hawk, like watching me and whatever. And I'm like, I pull one of them aside. I'm like, I don't trust my father as far as I could throw him. So they leave the house. They took in the statement or whatever, and then she's pissed. My dad comes home. He's pissed. Whatever. And then the girlfriend comes over that night with like a New Year's dinner or whatever. It's super weird, like pretending to be mommy. It's just so bizarre. So. The next day, I call the friends again, and I'm like, okay, so what's going on? They're like, well, yeah. they're treating it as a missing persons case. I'm like, that's fucking bullshit. Yeah. Like, I don't think I used the fuck word, but right. I was 11. <laughs> but I definitely was like, I was like, she's not missing. She's dead. Like, like what, what, is, what doesn't compute here? So what happened is, is this detective had seen the missing persons case come across his desk and it's like new year's in this small sleepy small town yeah. in ohio and he's like oh, this is interesting a doctor's wife goes missing over the holiday i'm just gonna come check this out he shows up at the house and my grandmother is furious again and won't let him in and i'm like oh come in i yeah. let him in the house uh-huh. and i pull him aside and i say look my mother is not missing my mother is dead i believe my father killed him her and you know like she would never leave me. My mother, like something yeah, has happened to her. Yeah. She would never leave me. He gives me his business card. He slips it to me on the side. I hide it in said Garfield hat. The next day I go back to school. The first thing I do when I, when I go into school is I go to the principal's office. And I said, you need to call this, this man? the Mansfield mm-hmm. Police Department. You need to call him and you need to get him down here. He comes down to my school and I lay out everything. My father's history of abuse, my father's history of womanizing, the messy divorce, the nasty shit that has been going on in my household, the girlfriend, the everything. And over the course of the next 25 days, like this, so this police officer, this detective is literally like this kid, like, what the fuck? But I am very I'm thinking this kid, adamant. what the fuck? Because yeah, I'm, I'm very... putting myself in my 11-year-old body and mind 
I don't think I would have done the things that you're doing like and, and, and just been so adamant and advocated and used my voice and been so smart with it know, all. It's crazy like when you look back at these types of things like now as, as I do and firmly in my 40s and this is sort of what happens when you don't get your kid a Nintendo or when he's the last, <laughs> last kid on the block to get a Nintendo because yeah. I just got one for Christmas that year. So your mind runs right. But anyway, so I, I, give, I lay out this whole thing and I tell him, I'm like, okay, I'm going to go home and I'm going to pull out while my, my grandmother's dealing with my sister downstairs. My father's not there. I'm going to go upstairs and I'm going to pull the bookshelves out of the crawl space and look for my mother's body. I'm going to look for her purse because she would never leave this one purse, this Dooney and Burke purse that she always carried that was like her go-to carry-all. Mm-hmm. If that's there, I know that this hadn't happened. And I start putting together clues. And I'm calling him every day that I go to school because school was my safe zone. Yeah, I'm away from the family. I can safely talk to this guy. And I am literally giving him stuff. And the investigation is like stalled because they can't find my mother. And I talk about this on my podcast, which is Moving Past Murder. My film is called A Murder in Mansfield. But essentially what happens is I go with my father to his office and he goes in the gas station and as I can see him inside the gas station I start rummaging through his car mm-hmm. and I find two Polaroid photographs oh god one is of his girlfriend and her two kids sitting in front of a fireplace that's wrapped in plastic and the second Polaroid is of a house uh-huh. and this is 1990 now right this is not like there's no Zillow there's no Google yeah, yeah. I find those pictures he comes back to the car I hide the pictures right I call the I get David Messmore down to my school and I say to him, I found this house and I found Sherry with her kids in front of this fireplace. S- something's rotten and dead. Like, I don't know what this house mm-hmm. is. I've never seen this before. Mm-hmm. So then, like, police are coming to the house, like, every day. My father has his divorce attorneys there. Like, all these signs outside. We will not talk to press. We're not talking. This is a small town. A doctor's mm-hmm. wife goes missing. You know, unbeknownst to me at the time, like, missing persons cases and domestic violence and things like that. And this is something like I, I literally am just released an episode of the podcast by the time people are listening to this is that I, I talk to people who have dealt with missing persons and it's like, you got to be in an action state to, yeah. to it's like hyper vigilance, sure, right? Yeah. And to be proactive because the police are so inundated with these cases, right? It's like, if they don't have anything after like 40, like what are they going to do? And they can't just go like say, well, the doctor killed his wife with no evidence. Right, yeah. Like, right. So I was able, I, with this detective, put all this evidence together. And then my father says to me on like a few days before eventually what happened, and I'm going to explain in a second, is my father says, I have a medical conference in Florida. I want to take you. Well, let's do a father and son trip. Oh, gosh. First of all, this is like not normal behavior for my father. And I was going to ask you. And it's weeks. It's like three weeks after my mother's gone missing. Right. And did you ever fear for your own life? A hundred percent I did. Okay. I was terrified. Yeah. But I was yeah. like, but what am I going to do? This is my right. mother. This right. is my world. Like, fuck this shit. Mm-hmm. It's, a, it's now a foot race between me and this man. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to win. Yeah. And he says, I'm going to take you down to Florida for this medical conference. Now, I have been able to swim since I was four years old. In fact, I get up every morning and swim a mile. Wow. I literally, I told Dave Messmore, I go back to school, I say, call Dave Messmore, I say, I've been able to swim since I was four years old. I'm going to drown in the Gulf of Mexico. You need to get me the fuck out of my house. Mm-hmm. Child services comes a couple of days later. They yank me out of the house. The crime lab is coming in as they're pulling me out of the house. They're literally like, I'm like, can I take my dog? They're like, no, we'll be back for your dog. Never saw my dog again. Aww. Left this, my whole world's thrown out to upheaval. I go into foster care. I have the worst asthma attack of my life that night. The next morning, I go to the hospital, see one of our doctor friends. We have this whole... Fuck. That's, you know, I'm going to cry. 
so he gives me his breathing treatment, and then they're like, call your Lieutenant Messmer, found your mom. Eternally long pause, and she was dead. And I wish I could say that's where the story ended, but that's actually where the story started. started yeah. And it was the like the largest murder case in Ohio history, at least in my account. Like it, it was I mean, a fiasco. Your, it was it, it was and I was the chief, I was the one who got my father indicted because I knew all the evidence. I knew my mother. And because of that, I was abandoned by both sides of my family. I was thrown into the foster care system where I was orphaned. And I had to I testified for two days in court, staring down my father, saying, This is this is this man murdered my fucking mother. I put my father in prison and it's June twenty third, twenty twenty two. He is still in a cell to this day. That's I don't need yeah, wow. <laughs> wow. I mean, I, I don't even think there are words to like articulate. One I mean, to your credit, one, you're so brave. You're so brave. The fact that you're able to recollect your story and share your voice and that you were able to just put this together in honor of your mom. You know what I mean? I mean, do you understand the impact of that? This is like the thing, like this is so weird, right? So then my whole my whole life, and I did a TED talk about this, full disclosure, but like my what whole have life you not done also by the way, like hello, <laughs> okay, here we go. Yeah, well so like one of the things that like my mother so my my family was from Philadelphia, but we but I grew up in Ohio, but like they all went to Penn. I mean, they were street kids that got into Penn. They weren't like privileged kids from Penn. they were all from blue collar families and alcoholics and stuff like that, right? But Education was like a really high priority in my in my life. So like when I would like finish school, my mom would send me like arts like art classes in summer school. Yeah. So art was a massive part of my life. I'm actually like a classically trained singer. I went to one of the best conservatories in the world before I moved, dropped out and moved to Los Angeles. And the thing is, is I used the arts to get through my trauma. Right. So I ended up staying in the small town where I was and I was I thought I was going to be adopted by the police officer who had found my mother because we really bonded, but the courts did not allow that. They told me I was going to go and then they rug pulled me. And then I ended up going with strangers who ended up being a wonderful family, but which was fortunate for me because my entire, like I said, my entire family wanted nothing to do with me. My mother's side of the family, my father had molested their two daughters under the guise of giving their daughters physicals about a year or two before that. And I never, like I I obviously didn't know any of this as a kid. And my father was actually going to be arrested for that. And because the girls couldn't, I mean, it's not their fault. They, it was so traumatic. They couldn't testify. They couldn't bring charges against him. So actually when they, when all this went down, they found this out. And then the, the police officer, Dave Messmore had spoken to them and they were like, you get him for us. The guy's a fucking piece of mm-hmm. shit. There's no question. He killed his wife. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. And so it was a lot of like, rev- there was like a lot of retribution, I guess, mm-hmm. or, or resolution that came from my father's conviction. So art was always a thing that I went to. So I, I went to music school and then I, I dropped out. I moved to Los Angeles and I was like, okay, I'll be a rock star or whatever it was. I wanted to go to Broadway and do that whole thing. But I ended up getting into filmmaking because I was motivated. Well, first I worked as a model when I came here. And for your listeners, I'm, I look like my mother. My mother's beautiful. You're like, a good-looking like guy my mother. with really beautiful eyes. Yes. <laughs> yeah, they were hers. So, you know, I worked as a model and then I got into behind the camera and I became a cinematographer because I wanted to tell my mother's story and I wanted to tell my story and I wanted to do something so people could benefit from what, what I went through. And I was like, look, if I can find a way 
to honor my mother, to heal myself, and to speak to that one fucking kid that was there in foster care, literally at the nadir of their life, like, all the chips are down, man. Like, if, if like, it, it, my life, it was over at that point. So it's like, either I find the courage to, to follow through with this and honor my mother and tell the truth, or this man gets off and he, he either kills me or he, mm. or he tortures me the rest of my life. Like, he, yeah. gonna, remember the time you tried to get me convicted for murdering your mother? Right. <laughs> which right, I did, by right. the way. Yeah. So I knew at that time I was motivated by this and I was really motivated by the fact that at least at this time in our, in our sort of society, we weren't talking about the consequences of violence, the ramification of like, and the non-combat PTSD and the, the impacts on communities and ancillary victims. And I was very passionate about that because it was at that time, like bad guy goes to prison, the victim is dead, the state gets his restitution, gavel hits, and we say next, much like it is in the true crime world, right? Mm -hmm. So I wanted to tell that story. I had seen a film called American History X with mm. Edward Norton, Beverly D'Angelo, Edward Furlong, Elliot Gould, like an amazing piece of American yeah. cinema directed by Tony Kay and produced by a gentleman named John Morrissey. And I walked out of the theater in 1999 in Northridge, California. I said to my friend who I had gone to school with, I said, whoever made that film understands the consequences of violence and I want them to help me tell my story. Flash forward eight years later, I'm sitting in my place in, uh, at this bungalow in Hollywood with my girlfriend. She comes in, she says this, this guy wants to shoot me for a book and he's a film producer. She starts rattling off his films and she does American history. I was like, American history acts. She's like, yeah, I was like, get him here. We become friends. Then he's looking, he's like trying to do some silly film project. I was learning how to be a filmmaker and I was like, I don't want to do this. I was like, this is what I want to do. And I give him a binder that I'd had mm -hmm. that I collected of all the, somebody gave me of all the newspaper articles from when my mother went missing to the, through the trial uh -huh. to like the turn of the, of the millennia. I gave it to him. I was like, remember I told you that my dad killed? Because everybody knew in my world in L.A. Like, okay, that's call your dad killed his mom. That was it. They didn't know the extent of my story. <laughs> I gave it to him and he like, and he was like, oh, this is your story about your dad killing me. I was like, yeah. He calls me the next day. He goes, holy shit, brother. Mm -hmm. Are you fucking kidding me? Because he read everything. It's just like, you've got to be. He's like, first of all, how are you so like, right. he was just like, how are you like, how are you functional? And he goes, second of all, I just did a film with with Barbara Koppel. She's a two-time Oscar-winning director of documentaries. She's She'll be totally into this. And so we approached Barbara, and then I started putting it together as a producer, and I originally was going to shoot the film, and it became what is called A Murder in Mansfield, which is... We were in 60 film festivals worldwide. Wow. It was... Variety calls it... It's It comes dressed as true crime, but it's really a plea for humanity because it's like, as you see the flyer, it's like seeing the, the whole, like... I produced it. I'm the quote unquote star of it because it's following me mm -hmm. on this journey to go back to my small town 26 years later after this murder occurs and look at the impact that it's had on people. Mm -hmm. And then it culminates with me confronting my father in prison yeah. for murdering my mother. It's like it's fucking crazy. And my father is a stone cold sociopath. And over that entire 26 years, I maintained a relationship with him. I have, like, on my podcast, I read his letters. I have 500 letters from my that father in prison you. that he's written me over oh the, the span gosh. of 30 uh -huh. years uh -huh. that I read on the podcast. The show exposed, like, narcissism and coercive control and manipulation, all these things, gaslighting, because it's so, it's become so valuable to people. And, like I said, when I set out, when I made the film, like, I just wanted to speak to that fucking kid. Yeah. I'd be like, hey, man, it's going to be okay. Yeah. Oh, my God. I'm like, oh sorry. My God. Sorry, I, I apologize. I, but I, like, no, please don't apologize. I just wanted to speak. Kidding? I just wanted to speak to this 
this kid that was me, like yeah. literally by themselves, like not knowing what the fuck is going to happen to them and just be like, it's going to be cool, man. You're going to fucking make it. Sincerely for you, like you're going to be okay. And the film like had this just crazy impact, like tens of thousands of people coming out. And it's like, they're just like, thank you for telling your story because I thought I was alone in this. And it's not like their dad murdered their mother, but like it's right. always this thing where they're like, I thought my life was horrible. I was molested growing up and I was this and I turned to heroin and I've had abusive relationships. And I saw your story and I was like, holy shit, well, if this guy can make it, I can too. You changed my life. And there was a kid who was like going to commit suicide. His dad killed his mom and he was literally going to commit suicide. He was like, he turned on his television. He goes on Amazon because he's like, I want to watch something before I kill myself. He had it all planned out. And then he, a murder at Mansfield pops up. He watches the message to me. He goes, I was literally, that was the day. I had it all planned out. I saw you and I was like, I can make it. He reached out to me. I was like, holy fucking shit, man. I was like, look, it's like the film, like I didn't make any money from the film. It's like, I didn't do yeah, it for but that. But I don't think you, yeah, but I was going to say, I don't think you impact, did it for that. The yeah. impact, like I wanted to speak to those people and to this. And yeah. so like, I started the podcast as I was like, I want to, I want more of a platform. And look, I mean, clearly I've been talking for God knows how long. I love the sound of my own voice. right? <laughs> <laughs> and I love talking to other victims and people in true crime because I also my entire life. Like I was like the episode of, about my family's case is like one of the top 10 forensic files episodes ever. It's called foundation of lies, like season five, episode 12 or something like that. And it was like a picture, like I'm testifying on the witness stand against my father. And it's a very famous picture. And it's like all this stuff. And I was very like, I was telling somebody in an interview the other day, I haven't taken my foot off the gas since December 31st, 1989. Right. They're like, have you, I was like, no, I was like, it's always been a genesis of this. And like the podcast has become this thing and it's impacting like Tara Newell is sitting over there. You met and she's the one who killed John Meehan, who is known as Dirty John in the, in the Bravo show, Dirty John season one. And I talked to people like that. Kara Robinson Chamberlain, who was just on the front cover of people a couple months ago who was, was kidnapped by a serial killer and escaped and then yeah. turned him in and got him caught and like all like all this stuff and saved people's lives. And it's like, I'm talking to these victims. And one of the things that I didn't really realize because I made my film, nobody else did. I took control of my story and a lot of these victims are exploited and they're exploited for money. They're exploited on podcasts. They're exploited on, they're exploited on, on television because true crime is such a big business and such a big industry and no offense, but there's like, these these people and some of these people have exploited these victims sexually too and 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 predatorily, which is all coming out right now as we're speaking about people that have done this. And I was like, I want to bring my fellow victims. Like, fuck this shit. Mm -hmm. Like, mm -hmm. I'm here to I'm here for all the smoke. Yeah. Like I've been through this. And I I was very fortunate because I always controlled that story. But so many people don't have that sort of that they don't have that that advantage like I did. And so I was. I'm now able to like help them too and interview yeah. them and bring light to like, right. let's make conscious true crime. Let's look at yeah. what we're doing. You've created and a community. I'm creating yes. a community with other like-minded people. Exactly. And it's really fucking cool. It's just mm -hmm. happening. It's like, I just started going viral on TikTok. I went from having like 60 people follow me to like 400,000 or 300,000 now or something. And it's yeah. like in a month. Yeah. It's like all happened in like a month and a half mm -hmm. or something. It's, it's nuts. And it's, it's like, the message is fine. It's like getting out there and the podcast is growing and it's really cool because I love what I do and I love talking about this. Like I said, I did a TED talk. I've traveled all around the world speaking at like obviously pre-COVID, right? But mm -hmm. when I couldn't do that, I was like, oh, let me start this podcast. And again, it's like the impact of reading these letters and talking to victims and what, talking what to What do the letters make you people. feel? 
What like well, do you allow them to impede? Sure. Like, well, it's, and, and the, the the little shtick is is that I haven't looked at these since I opened them whenever they were written, mm-hmm. and there's like sixty or seventy of them I haven't opened because one of the ways of manipulating and coercive control is like you just inundate them with mail and just like you're like yeah. you should read my letter, you should read my letter. Because my father, like if people watch the film. My father thought I was making a movie to help him get out of prison. So when he comes into the room, Uh he comes into the room, he's in a good mood, and he thinks I'm, like, going to help him get out of prison. Yeah. Which I never told him I was going to do, but Uh to gain his cooperation, I didn't say I wasn't going to do that. Sure, yeah. Because I just gave him the opportunity. It's like, if you give someone enough rope, they will hang themselves. Mm -hmm. They will, if someone shows you who they are, you got to believe them, right? Yeah. Well, I've learned that the hard way. Yeah, we all have, right? right? Yeah. And so... I basically, I read this letter to him that I wrote when I was 13 years old that says that I'm basically am pleading for him to come clean about murdering my mother and, for and my sake, for the sake of- And you in front of him so, yeah, uh, physically? So I wrote this to him when I was 13. Okay. And he, uh, it was me pleading with him to come clean so I could move on with my life, so our family could heal, so everyone could move on with his, our life. So my half-sister was born- 12 days before he was arrested, could move on with her life and have something and everybody could move on and heal. And he read it and he put it back in an envelope and wrote refused and sent it back to me. And so I opened that letter in front of him in the film and I I haven't read it since I wrote it when I was 13. And I just, it's so emotionally powerful and he's such a narcissist and a sociopath. He turns it on him. He's a victim narcissist and it's crazy. And I exposed that. But it's funny, I was doing like an interview with the New York Times years ago when the film came out. The film came out at the end of 2018, like literally like December 2018. He's like, I watched the film. It's really, it's really powerful and really tragic what you've gone through. He's like, but he's like, there's three seconds in the film that sum up the man that you are. I was like, what is that? What are you talking about? And he goes, after your father gets done saying all this stuff. And you tell him, I, I believe that you believe that, and that's my answer. That's what I say to him, because he believes that he believes the story he's telling me. He's like, you get up, and you hug your father, and you say, I love you, Pop. And he's like, he's like, I broke out into tears when I'm watching in the theater, because I'm like, that tells you everything you need to know about this man in three seconds. That his mother raised him by, right? He's, he's a good, pure soul, and he's, he's, just, he, he's just motivated to just do good and share a story like that's it and he was like do you remember that i was like no <laughs> but i was like i guess i did i mean that sounds like something i would do so like when i watched the film i'm like oh i remember that part but i mean i did i, yeah. I did say that yeah. and i did and i do mean it like over the years like people that do i had let into my world because like all my filmmaker family and everybody like everybody comes out to hollywood they're like oh i'm gonna tell my story i'm gonna write a script and it's like then my friends were like they saw it like all, like i'm in variety and the hollywood reporter they're just like what the fuck dude and they're like, and I was like, well, yeah, I told you I was making a movie. And they're like, and they're like yeah, but everyone says that, dude. Right, yeah. Everyone that yeah. comes to town yeah. says that. Like, yeah. you literally were somebody that knew nothing about filmmaking when I met you. And now it's this? Like, are you fucking kidding me? Yeah. Like, and I was like, well, yeah. I was like, I do what I say. But also, I want to say, like, I'm a firm believer in, like, the universe and, like, doors opening and sure. you have to walk through them and I think like someone like yourself who was dealt the hand that you were dealt like you you said it yourself you could have turned to a lot of different things you could have turned to drugs you could have turned to all these things that wouldn't have been positive but you're like I'm gonna use what happened to me yeah to evoke change to be relatable to other people sure to help with the healing process absolutely and I'm gonna make that my life's mission and you did and so and because of that I think 
then things come your way. You know what I mean? Like yeah. they come your way and you see them and you step into them and you're continuing to do that. You know what I yeah. mean? Yeah. And look, and look, like I'm not without my flaws. I'm human. I'm an artist. I'm very, I'm very emotional. I know you were here to talk about relationships, but like, <laughs> and, and I haven't met the one yet. And it's like, I feel like I get connected with someone then some the other shoe drops on them. I just, I was dating this girl and everything was great. And then she's like, just flips the script. I, I think we want two different things. But then runs off to Paris with her ex-boyfriend, and I'm just like, I, I thought we were connecting. But uh, uh, okay, you were calling me babe and baby, and then all of a sudden you just ghosted me. Like I'm just, I'm not, I'm confused. But okay, she was, and you're like, person. oh, I was clingy. Like I'm just, uh, like I wasn't clingy at all. Like you're, that's my life, and I'm just like whatever. But I just continue doing what I'm doing. But like I was gonna say is, somebody had asked me. Before the film came out, I was sharing my story with them. There was these, I was like traveling. It was one of the first gigs I ever did. I was traveling around the world with these motorcycle stunt riders. And they were, I, I told them my story. They were actually from Ohio. And they were like, dude, how can you forgive him? And I said, bro, I was like, it's not about him. It's about me. Like everybody thinks that like when you forgive and you move on from things, like you're somehow giving up your power. No. And that's bullshit. You're actually, you're actually empowering yourself. Your and you're stepping yeah. into your power because what it is, is you're able to go to separate and go, it's not about them. It's about me. And I need to move on and be the person I can be. And unfortunately, so many people live in that and they live in like the guilt and the shame. And look, it, like I'm saying all this as if it's super fucking easy and it's not, it is hard. And it, and it honestly only gets harder, but you like, you just have to find a way to move on because life life is fucking amazing, man. <laughs> like Life is amazing. And it's, and it's, it's, there's so much beauty in the world and we often get caught up in like the bad of all of it and the woe is me and the pity party and all this and that. And then it's like, then you see people like, I hope like myself and go, oh, well, I didn't have it that bad. Like I could do something too. And it's like some girl saw me on TikTok the other day and she stitched one of my things. I don't even really know that much. I mean, I'm learning about TikTok and I love it, but <laughs> she stitched one of my stories of my younger brother, who's my adopted parents, natural son. He messaged me, he goes, this girl stitched you. And I was like, oh, I was like, I hope it wasn't bad. And then I messaged her and it was really cool. And she has a father in prison. I read this letter and she's like, thank you for doing this because that gave me the courage to this. And she messaged me. She's like, I've actually been following you for like a month. And I w I've been talking about for the last three years, I want to become a private detective, but I've never got off my ass to do it. And you, I saw your TikToks and that motivated me. I enrolled, oh I start in August. And I'm just like, I'm like, yeah. I'm like, this is like the cool impacts of these things. And it's yeah. like, so you can either be angry and upset and like the world has hurt me and done, done whatever, or you can take that and turn that shit on its head, which is what my TED talk is about. Turn flip that shit on your head, on its head and go, this is what I'm going to do with my life and the world. And look, it's not my entire life. Like I'm an artist. I'm a filmmaker. I work as a, as a cinematographer and I love doing the podcast. That's really all I want to do and make my own content. That's helping people because that's the mission that I'm really driven towards. Right. But it's like, and, I've, and, and I say this and it might sound corny, but I feel so fortunate for what I've been through. And people are like, how can you say that? I'm like, it's so, so terrible. I'm like, but it's not because I've like, I know my mother's proud of me. Like, I'm just a kid that loved his mom that like, that was like, you're not going to get away with this. Like, I'm sorry. This is not happening on my watch. I'm going to honor her. And like. I Can think I ultimately you, that's, you know, do you feel her presence? Like, 100%, is there a the sign time. that you yeah. know is Chanel number five? Chanel number <laughs> five. Oh, the smell. Yeah. And you can smell it yeah. even when yeah. you're, yeah. Wow. 
Wow. Oh my gosh. Well, obviously, for anyone that's that's looking for a relationship with a very emotional uh, <laughs> artist guy who's fairly intelligent, has a really good vocabulary, and not too, not kind of easy on the eyes, I'm your guy. <laughs> Oh my God, that that was a great plug at the end of that. Oh my gosh. But I mean, so let me ask you though, do you think like, I feel as if you've been so mentally tough, like whether you, you somehow just found the skill set and, you know, yeah. pursued this like journey of healing and like this spiritual thing. And then also like this wanting to give back and to help others. But do you feel as if, you're ready to receive love like in that you're worthy you do okay yeah, it's like, you don't think get, your situation has impeded that in any way not at all mm-hmm. and i'm like now in the past sure as i'm like working through things and like there's a part of you when you start to when you're a victim of like extreme trauma right mm-hmm. and you're dealing with ptsd is you tend to compartmentalize mm-hmm. right a little yeah. bit and i've been in relationships i'm not saying i was like the perfect partner or whatever but at all, but it takes two to tango, right? right yeah. Everybody be like, oh, this person or that girl or that guy. It's like, bro, it takes two to tango, right? But the thing is, is I was very driven and motivated to do what I needed to do. And now I've like come to that place and I'm like, like, oh, this shit's going to work. Like, this shit's work. Like, all this stuff that I've been putting, because it's like, okay, I made the film and that was amazing. And, I was with, it was in a relationship, but it was like, but she was in the relationship with me. She was a narcissist. I didn't realize it because I was sold role, but she was in it because she was a director and she wanted her own thing. And it just, that blew up. And I was like, oh my God, like, and, and, that's I, hard and to I felt re victimized I mean, and stuff. Yeah, but, I mean, exactly. like, it's I'm totally over it true, now, but yeah. I was like, it was really scary because when you break up with a narcissist, they go full on, like, destruction fire and brimstone i had a stalker at the time too so it was like a double coming from all angles and the film would come out and i was like i was didn't have a place to live i was like oh my god and i'm like with my little chihuahua like what am i gonna do and i was i worked it out right but it's like it's become this thing where i'm like okay i've done that i've gotten to the place in my life where yeah i mean like look I, i'm ready for some money like mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. full on like let's yeah. let's 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 make some money mm-hmm. while doing all this work because it it's a full-time job while i'm trying to keep the lights on and yeah. working so it's like two thumbs up thumbs out yeah yeah so, exactly it's, it's just come to you i know it's 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 already on its way i love it's it already on its but, way. but but as far as like what i've been doing i mean there's definitely more goals that i have in my life but i'm like in a way like I finally come in like the last like I would say like yearish. I've been like, okay, I'm ready for something for that person yeah. mm-hmm. to come in because I'm like it's really weird be and this girl that I was dating was much younger than me because she was like I was like, How old do you think I am? She's like thirty two and I'm like, Yeah, God bless you. <laughs> Thank you. And I know I have great skin and I take care of myself, but yeah, I'm a little older than that. Forty four. But but I feel like I'm like twenty five because I had to do all this stuff and get it all done and out there. And I go, okay, cool. That's off the list. All right, great. Now I'm ready to start living. It's really wild. It's a really hard thing to explain. I think it's like a trauma survivor thing is where you go, okay, I just put a button on that. Because I really feel so blessed that like there are so many people in the world that don't get to put buttons on in their life or don't get to say, I did that. That's done. Because if I left this earth five minutes after we're done talking here, I'm good. 
I'm cool. I've done everything I needed to do. I've told the story. Literally, I have left a mark on a world that will outlive me. And that is that is ultimately, it's not about the money you make. It's not about the car you drive, the house you have. It's family, yes, family, absolutely. But, but it's about the mark that you leave on this world. Did you come into this world and leave this world in a better place than you found it? And I can firmly say that's exactly what I've done. And I've done it twice. I've done it for myself and my mother. <sighs> so good. So good. <laughs> I mean, honestly, like, I mean, you could not have wrap that present up and put the bow on any more perfectly. And I'm a huge believer, like I mentioned, in the universe. And I think like sometimes we just need to call out what we want. So palms up for the money. Palms up. Palms up for the money because it's it's all there. It's all there. And you you, you have it all. You have Is that the why energy. the Buddha sits that way? Yeah, I think so. Like the lotus I pose think or whatever so. it is. Yes. Palms up. <laughs> I mean palms up. And also in terms of love, just Tell the universe what you want. I know, know? right? And I, and I'm learning. I got to be really so specific. specific. And see, I wasn't specific in this last one. Mm-hmm. There was like all these things that I wanted, like checked all these boxes. Oh, but that. Oh, mm-hmm. I forgot that one. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. So now I just got to go back to the drawing. Yeah. But do take, take some time. Make that list. And this isn't a list necessarily about like physical attributes or she's got to be this tall and that whatever. Like you truly need somebody who is going to be sure. as centered as you are and as like driven (laughs) you know what I mean because like you said like I've been through all this shit and look at where I am now look at where I sit look at what I'm doing look at what I'm capable of look at what I've done yeah you need somebody who's going to be able to climb that ladder with you you know what I mean she's out there she could be listening she gotta be out of there she's here she's somewhere now let's Your find lips her. To God's ears. Amen. Oh my God. <laughs> so, so also, I just think it's like a beautiful thing that like this happened because in randomly, all, no, it's not random. <laughs> no, that's Nothing true. Not random. ever happens randomly. You can find me on Instagram, Twitter, TikTok. It's at Collier Landry, C-O-L-L-I-E-R-L-A-N-D-R-Y. My website is CollierLandry.com. The film is A Murder in Mansfield. And my new project, which is really taking off and it's amazing, is called Moving Past Murder. And that is my podcast. Oh, my God. Amazing. Okay. So I already know what I'm doing this afternoon or when we leave here. <laughs> I'm going to tell my girlfriend. You can find it on YouTube yeah, I, I, I'm, yeah, I'm gonna, Like, I am going to be very busy. And, like, also, we're BFFs now. So, We're BFF yeah, now. Yeah, amen. And if, and if your listeners want to see what I look like on my YouTube channel, oh, I, I put will the podcast. Show them. Yeah, you I can will see me right there. there. <laughs> it's 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 and now she's snorting again, guys. <laughs> my guys, love you.